The episode you're about to hear was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic. My guest is Mark Scuderi, a very successful entrepreneur. During today's episode, you will hear Mark share a story of how his business survived the housing market crash of 2008 and how he came out of it stronger both professionally and personally. While the housing market crash pales in comparison to the scenario we are all living through today, you'll hear him talk about how that experience changed his approach, his approach to how he runs his business, leads his teams, and his personal life. Perhaps there are some lessons that you can walk away with and apply to your current situation today. I also want to take the time to wish you and your family all the best. Stay safe and be well. Now let's get back to the episode. You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session Podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's give it a jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Mark Scuderi, who is a very successful entrepreneur. Mark's journey as an entrepreneur spans across 17 years, where he now owns several businesses, which include three Remax franchises, a mortgage franchise, and most recently, he purchased a CrossFit gym. Mark, welcome to the Leadership Jam Session. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Are you ready to jam? I am. All right. So let's talk about your journey because you have a very unique journey. From what I understand, real estate was not your first career. Is that right? That's correct. I was in law enforcement. So walk us through, take us back. How did you decide to get into the real estate business? While I was working full-time in law enforcement, I had uh, relatives of mine that were purchasing, uh, they're actually selling homes, and they called the only real estate agent that they knew who ended up listing and selling their properties for them. And I estimated that that agent made a pretty good amount of money in the those two sales. So I decided that I would really like to have that money for my family. So I decided that I would get my real estate license and work that business parallel to my full-time job in law enforcement. And so that was what, back in? 2003. All right. So you became a real estate agent and you were still a police officer. Correct. And along the way, you decided to purchase a Remax franchise. That's correct. At the end of 2004, the owners of my franchise were retiring. And I looked at that as maybe the next logical step. I had a very successful first year in business. I was actually the top agent in my office for the first year. So I took those surplus uh, funds that I had since I, I was living off my full-time job in law enforcement, and I made the decision. I thought it was the next logical step to actually be a franchise owner. So what were some of the challenges? Because you never owned a business before. So here you are. You're purchasing your first business. So what were some of the initial challenges you faced? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge was the, that I had about a year and a half experience in the real estate business. The average agent at Remax had 14 years experience. So now I had to be the leader and the trainer and the mentor for the company. And I had far less experience than the agents that I would try to recruit. So I think that was my biggest challenge, getting up to speed and, and really educating myself where I could be a valuable mentor to the agents that I would recruit into my organization. So you talk about seasoned agents and, and how you were only in, you only had a year and a half experience. Uh, was that a big challenge to overcome? It was a big challenge, but fortunately for me, when technology started to emerge, you know, back in 2003 with, you know, websites and the way the consumers looked at properties, I was able to jump in right on that and, and get up to speed on that very, very quickly, where agents were still doing things, you know, the analog way, hosting the open houses and, and driving around on Tuesdays to physically view the new inventory. I was able to understand how the new technologies work, where we could take better photography and, and we could really market the property 
marketing, not just to consumers, but to other real estate agents who had buyers. So I was always a little bit ahead of the technology curve in my marketplace. And I felt that that was my competitive advantage. So it sounds like you found a way to bring value to your people by leveraging a gap that perhaps they had and the value that you brought to them around that. Our business evolved so rapidly because of technology. What we're doing today, we weren't doing three or four years ago. The way the consumer uh, meets a real estate agent is completely changed. And my value proposition was always to have the best technology available to potential recruits and to be up to speed enough where I can train and hire trainers to make sure that they can get that training so they are they understand the trends and they have the best available to them. Sounds like you rely, at least in your business, you rely a lot on, on training. Correct. All right, so what separates you, a broker owner, from another broker owner? I'm invested in everybody that joins my organization and making sure that we have the best tools and services available really will take care of the retention part. There's a lot of organizations out there that just don't have the tools and services and their their owners are not involved in their individual agent's business. Uh, they're out selling themselves or, or they're focusing on their own personal business where my organization, we focus on the service for our real estate agents. We are overstaffed and I always, I like to have it that way where there's always support system for an agent when they have a question, whether it be, you know, first thing in the morning, in the evening, I have support staff there for those agents. Even though we sell property and I have a sales team uh, as well, my job is to recruit agents and provide them the service they need so they can go out and individually do their business. They can't do their business legally on their own. They need to be supervised by a real estate broker. And in my organization, we can give them tools and services that they just wouldn't be able to get if they would go out on their own or join another organization because we are so heavily invested in our service, our customer service for our agents, which when you give the agents the best tools to do business, it naturally filters down to the consumer who also benefits from the tools and services we provide for our agents. And you said before that, you know, while other brokers may not necessarily go out in the field, you're working closely with your real estate agent. So maybe share a little bit of why you do that or, or what's the sure. rationale. So technology is great in our industry, but it, it also comes down to development of our agents and not just on a business side, but also a personal side. So we meet with our agents in a group every single week and we feel that's important. And we don't focus so much on training in that group. It's more development. So working with people in face-to-face -face in a group setting every single week, we can really dive into not just the business strategies and techniques, but how those agents could be successful in their overall life because there's more than just business to be successful. You need to be successful in, in multiple areas, family, your fitness, obviously your finances, and you need to have fun at work as well. We focus on all those pieces. So you kind of bring your group together. It sounds like it's it's like a best practice sharing session. It or is. It is. Even when I facilitate workshops, I often talk about how some of the best learnings really comes from when managers in the room are sitting there and listening to each other talk. And in, in the business world, I don't care what industry you're in. You know, sometimes you really get the chance to sit and do that. And sounds like one of your techniques is you make sure you provide that time. Absolutely. And we do it once a week at the same exact time. And it's a non-negotiable appointment for me. I, I cannot schedule anything out during that time. And the agents who participate in a the group, they also have the same mindset where they don't schedule appointments or anything during that time. And not so much... Uh, for that, for their benefit, but it's for the group. So when an agent is coming into this group or I'm sitting in in this group, I'm learning as much from that agent. They're supporting me as much as, as hopefully that I'm supporting them. It's not your staff meeting. This is purely dedicated to developing them. Correct. It's a mastermind group that we, you know, we do weekly. 
And we focus on more than just business. It's family, fitness, finances, and fun. And when we talk about our accountability for the week, we talk about accountability in all four of those areas. So you call it a mastermind group that for for your team that, that you run for them weekly, which I think is a, I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever heard that term used by a leader for their own team. Yeah, it works. It, the results, you know, they speak for themselves. What management challenges do you come up against with, with your agents? Because it's it's all commission-based. Is that is that right? So some of the challenges, you know, deals fall through and things happen. And when there's many agents that this is their sole income. Uh, so some of the challenges are, are being able to be flexible to help agents when they have tough times. If a deal falls through and maybe at the end of the month, you know, there, there isn't enough money for them. We're, we're there to try to work with them and help them, uh, you know, achieve what they need to achieve, but also understand that our business is a little bit different. And, at the, you know, we could have good months and we can have bad months and we can have super great months and we could have super bad months. And, you know, the, the challenge really on the management side is keeping our agents positive and focused on the big picture, even though one little deal may fall through or it may be a very big deal that falls through. And initially it could seem like the end of the world for them, but when we put the whole package together, it's really not. For example, I had an agent that was spending a lot of time uh, in preparation for a listing that she was getting, and she spent money advertising the neighborhood, went to the house a couple of times, uh, took pictures, and really invested a lot of time. And when it came down to it, the homeowner selected another agent to list their property. And she was very upset about it. She was in the office, visually upset. And when I started asking questions, like, you know, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? And she said, well, I, I have so much time and energy invested and money into this potential listing. And I thought they were going to list with me. And last minute, they listed with somebody else, and I lost the business. And I said, is that what's making you upset? And she said, yeah, I, I, I didn't get the listing. I says, but that's not really the issue. The issue is you don't have enough listing appointments. You put all of your effort into this one appointment, and you weren't systematic in getting more listing appointments. If you had two or three more listing appointments this week, would you be as upset? And she said, of course not. So I says, well, the answer is we have to be systematic and continuously focus on getting more listings versus putting all of our eggs in one listing basket. Was this agent new to the business? She new actually was newer to the business. Okay. So do you find yourself investing more time with some of your newer agents? Actually, I don't think so. They're very eager to learn and they don't have bad habits. Okay. So we can train them to what's really working today. Our seasoned agents have been doing business a certain way for a certain period of time and those strategies no longer work. So trying to teach an old dog new tricks is sometimes a greater challenge and requires a little bit more time than a, a newer agent, especially if they're more familiar with technology and and, and those things. We have a lot of agents that are well into their seasoning as real estate agents, and, and they don't understand how the, you know, the Apple iPad works and, and things like that. Can you share any, any examples or anything you've done? Because it sounds like, to me, some of it has to, just comes down to self-awareness, too. It really is. So we can't make them go out and learn the information, but I brought a trainer into the organization that she her job is to make sure she can train the agents at any time. They can come in and sit with her and really go through our systems because that's a full-time job in itself. And I could spend every minute of my day just teaching technology. So I had to bring in a staff for that to make sure we take care of it. It's interesting. I would never have thought of that. You newer salespeople, you're going to be spending a lot of time 
time with, but obviously you guys have a lot of, of the training program that's taking care of it. But to hear you talk about how it's more of the, the tenured folks, which is probably fair to say across many industries, right? I mean, I know I, I can think back to some of my employees who, who had a lot of experience and trying to uh, teach them something new, depending on the person, was like trying to climb a mountain. So have you seen like a lot of seasoned uh, real estate agents that couldn't adapt and just weren't able to, to move with the times? Yeah, it happens. And it's pretty sad because I see that often where uh, agents, as they get seasoned in the business and even brokers, that their business just kind of fades away. And at the very end, they just close shop and, and move on, which I think is really tragic. I think, you know, with the work and, and effort and money that they put in over the years to see that happen is, is troubling to me, uh, that they don't have a good sellable asset. Uh, so they could really cash in on their hard work. So I think that's, I see that a lot. And to me, that that is troubling. All right. So let's just take a step back here for a moment. So here you are, you, you bought your first business about two years in when you first started your real estate career. And you managed to make through the first few years, which we know owning a business for the first couple of years is, is challenging and trying to figure it all out. And after about two years, you're probably feeling pretty good about where you are with your business. And all of a sudden, the housing market collapses. And you're basically right in the thick of it, right? I mean, real estate agents, I mean, their offices are closing, banks are closing. So how did you survive it? Well, initially, we didn't expect the recession or the housing crash to last as long as it did. We felt it was, you know, 2006, we started seeing signs of it, 2007. So we told ourselves that 2008 would be great. And it really wasn't. So then we said everything will be fine in, in 09. And that really didn't happen either. And the big challenge we had is a lot of our agents that worked in our organization, this was their secondary income. Husband or wife had a full-time job and there were so many layoffs in the marketplace that this became their full-time income and their only source of income because their spouses became unemployed. So that was a big challenge for us. We had to work with our agents to try to change their compensation plans and and really help them earn more money to make up the deficits. But there were less sales properties. Uh, they lost tremendous amount of value. So there was a short sale process for a good percentage of our listings. So we had to get educated and trained on how to handle short sale properties. Many agents left the business because they just couldn't handle the, the downturn. They needed to go out and get income to pay their bills right away. Uh, closings that would normally take 45 days are now taking six months because of the short sale process. So it was a challenge, uh, to say the least. And many of our competitors went out of business and we just decided that we had to had to keep moving forward and survive, and it would eventually turn. So what were some of the things that you did to help keep you afloat? So expenses, we, we obviously had to cut expenses like everybody did. I could not cut staff because I had a full-time job, so I was unable to just do the work myself and, and let staff go. So I had to retain uh, full staff. Uh, we just had to cut wherever we can cut, so we didn't need the fancy copier. I would just you know, go down a little bit and, and, and spend a little less money there. We had six or seven phone lines. I went down to three phone lines and, and anything we can do, we ended up moving office space and into less expensive space, which worked out really well for us as technology evolved and we don't need the space that we used to, to need for our agents and our associates. Anything we can do, and technology helped us tremendously with that, to, to cut expenses so we could just stay afloat until the market really turned around. So again, it comes back to a common theme that I'm hearing with you is that you're uh, consistently trying to keep up with the technology at hand and how to integrate that to make your business a lot more efficient. While at the same time, you took some big 
steps in restructuring, uh, as well as moving your entire operation uh, into a, a different building. For sure. And we also had to focus on the personal development side more for the agents, because it was very easy to, to have a really bad negative attitude. And in sales, that just simply doesn't work. And when you're relying on a closing at the end of the month that doesn't happen, it's very hard to be excited to get up and go to work the next day when a deal falls through or an approval doesn't come. So we had to really focus on the personal development side with our associates, probably more than the technology at that point, because that was the most important, keeping everybody looking forward, positive, and, and focusing on the future and not just what was happening right then and there. You know, it is so refreshing to hear you say that because in in organizations, right, any organization, I mean, obviously, in, in your case, it was an entire uh, business sector that was impacted, right? But let's just take, for example, organizations that are going through a tough time. The first thing that usually goes, the first thing that gets cut almost 99% of the time is training. It's the first thing that goes. It's a line item. We need to save money. Uh, and it's unfortunate because oftentimes that is just seen as a a nice to have, not a necessity. And in those cases, it's probably one of the reasons why those organizations are underperforming because the leaders don't appreciate the value of, of developing their people. And here you are with this avalanche of, uh, of these challenges and the whole market collapsing. You went all in investing more in your employees, which I give you a lot of credit for and clearly was part of the key to your success. Even how you talked about getting them trained on on all the new uh, elements that they're getting hit with, right? The short sales. And Correct. I mean, I don't even think I ever heard of a short sale until that whole debacle went down with the market. Yeah, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and here you are. Um, you know, it, it is interesting just to, as we sit back now, um, looking at your journey, right? 17 years later, not only surviving through that while... So many other offices were closing, banks were closing. Here you emerged from it, thriving. And at that time, when you entered that that period, you only had one office. Here you are today with three REMAX franchises plus a mortgage franchise and, and now owning a CrossFit gym. I mean, that is a very impressive story. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. But it laid the foundation. Those tough times certainly did. And I learned a lot about business and and we're prepared for the next downturn when and if it ever comes uh, because of the lessons we learned during those downtimes. Yeah, so I have to ask, now that we're in, in a, an economy that's booming, things are, are going well, going through that period, has that impacted the way you either lead or, or run your business today? For sure. So one, we're always focused on revenue. And the way we generate revenue is we recruit producing real estate agents, but also expenses. So even though times are good right now, we are still very cautious about our spending. We do invest in our agents in technologies and, and training and coaching, but we don't spend the money on the fancy items any, any longer. And technology has really helped us with that as well. 10, 15 years ago, a phone system for one location would be $15,000. And now I can buy two or three phones for $300, plug it into the internet, and it has better features than the old systems used to have. So we're really cautious about the spending that, that we're doing every single day. And the agents appreciate it because 
ultimately, it affects their compensation plan too. If we run our, our business at a lower bottom line, we're able to give more compensation to the agents and they appreciate that. But looking back now, and so where I am and, and the reasons I have more success now than I did back then is because I'm focusing on four specific pillars. And back then I didn't do that. I focused on the business only. So the family life wasn't as good as it should have been. My fitness was nowhere near as good as it should have been. And I wasn't having any fun pretty much in anything. I was just worried about the business 24-7. So now I know to focus on my four pillars, which I call the four F's. And that's family first, fitness second, finances are third, which is my business. And fourth, I got to add a little bit of fun in there. So I talk often to my agents about the four F's. And in our mastermind groups, it's all about the four F's every single week. How'd you work out with your family? How's your fitness this week? your finances, and did you have any fun? So I hit four of the pillars at one time by going to the CrossFit gym. So my wife comes with me often. My children work out with me. Uh, so I'm having fun. I'm hitting my fitness, and I'm spending time with my family. What I didn't realize at the time is when I focused on fitness, my health got better, my energy got better, and my business took off. So I can correlate that when you focus on all four areas, that your business will grow. It, it just has to grow. I wish I would have known that seven, eight years ago because I couldn't work any harder and I couldn't, I just wasn't happy. And once I became happy and I felt great, I felt that I could do anything. That's when my business started to take off. And that's when I was no longer afraid to expand. I think that's great insight. So many of us take our business home and it does affect our personal life. So when did you start, you know, working out and, and, going to the gym. The fitness journey started two years ago and the results came very, very quick. So I had high blood pressure and only after 60 days, my blood pressure started to come down. I started to feel better. And then because I felt better, I had more energy at work. And because I had more energy at work, I made the extra sales calls. I was a little more motivating to my agents and I just felt great. And the business began to grow. And through that process, you ended up buying a CrossFit gym. For sure. So I knew the fitness piece was really important. And just like the Remax, you know, however many years ago, the owners were going to close the gym. They were moving on. And I just didn't want the gym to close. So I made them an offer to purchase the gym. And we're doing very well. And we've increased revenues and we've increased membership. But it's the relationships at the gym, which are very exciting. And, and I get to help coach at the gym aside from the real estate business as well. And that's really exciting for me, too. Was the gym kind of underperforming as well? It was totally underperforming. Uh, membership was down. Supplies weren't being ordered. Something as little as there was no hand soap in the bathroom. And, you know, that just doesn't work for a paying customer. They want to go in and wash their hands. There needs to be hand soap. These were little minor management things that just weren't being taken care of. And, and you know, we went in and straightened that out right away. So I had this vision that, that you're, you know... You're trying to wash your hands. There's no soap. You got pissed off, so you just decided to buy the gym. Yeah, pretty much, because it was right. just unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and sounds like you work out w with your wife. And, you know, I hope my wife doesn't listen in on this episode, because she'd be happy if I could just go to the gym, let alone go with her. But uh, I do think it's wise in what you're saying. I completely agree with you. And I know many of my listeners out there also agree that when you do take care of yourself and you feel better, it does impact your work, too. It goes both ways. Correct. It impacts everything. So not just your work, but, you know, your family life, everything. It sounds like to me, you know, for years you had to invest the time to survive with your business. And now it sounds like you're also taking the time with investing time for yourself. So aside from you know, investing in the business and, and everything I've learned, 
the fun part is also important. So I recently got my private pilot certificate. Uh, it's something that I've always wanted to do. And because I was consistent with my business and systematic with my business, it allowed me the time to, to go out and, and train uh, consistently to get my private pilot license. So that's something that I do for myself for fun. But down the road, I, I definitely envision myself and my wife flying out to see our children in college when they get older and, and really getting to explore and, and see the fun things. I'm sure some of my listeners are sitting out there saying, all right, he owns three Remaxes, a mortgage, franchise, a CrossFit gym. How do you even have the time to go get a pilot's license and learn how to fly? Because that takes a lot of time to get your hours in. Yeah, it's about being consistent. And when we reinvest in our agents and our good, our staff and our, our team, that I could leave my business now for a month and it wouldn't miss a beat because our staff is, is really that good. And over the years, there's always been a, a, an investment in staff. So reinvesting profits into hiring the right people and training the right people, but understanding that uh, I, I can't do everything myself. If if I just did one of those jobs myself, I would be working 20 hours a day. And I, I remember that when I was a police officer and I was working 12-hour shifts and then coming home and sleeping for a couple hours and getting up and going to the real estate office for six or eight hours and then going back and working the overnight shift again in law enforcement. So I had to get very systematic early and put processes in place so I wasn't wasting time uh, handling situations. We had systems in place, but I was also very consistent. So even though I had another job, I was able to achieve more in a few hours than most people can do in, in a full day because I was systematic, but I was extremely consistent. I, I want to highlight one important piece that you said in there when you said, I can leave for a month and my business wouldn't skip a beat. And I think for, for any business owner out there, even for leaders running departments or business groups, that should be the goal, should it not? I mean, if you're not, if you don't have the right people in place, if you're not putting the right processes in place and having the ability to delegate to the right people, you're probably doing something wrong. For sure. And if you're a business owner, your business, a business means it runs with or without you. Your job is to make sure the business is growing and going in the right direction and obviously making sure that everybody is doing what they're supposed to be doing, but also understanding that they want to do a good job. And if you treat your people really good, they're going to want to perform for you. And if there's something administrative that uh, I could hire out for somebody to do, well, then that's less time I'm focusing administratively and I can focus on growing the business. And, and really, you, you can have all the business success in the world if your family life stinks and your fitness stinks, Well, and you're not having any fun, well, what good is it? So I've always reinvested into my people and, and my systems and processes so the business will take care of itself if you know, I was gone for a month. Or even by saving you an hour by improving your efficiencies gives you an hour you can go flying. Absolutely. All right, well, we're almost out of time, so I have one more question for you. When you think back and you took over your first team and you bought your office and you have your first team, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? I would think that that would be realizing that my ambitions are not everybody else's. And I had to learn that uh, just because I want to build a big business, my associates may not want to. So I had to really learn to coach and mentor for where they were and where they wanted to go, you know, to understand what people truly want. They said they want to make X amount of dollars. I took that at heart. But do they really want to make X amount of dollars? Because here's what's required to do it. Yeah, well, I think that's a struggle that all new managers have to deal with. And hopefully for my new managers out there that you're listening in and 
taking some some notes because that that is a hard struggle. It certainly is. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for coming in and sharing your best practices and your journey, which is truly an incredible story. And I appreciate you coming in and sharing that with my listeners. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're enjoying the podcast, then click the subscribe button, leave a review, and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast.